Hi, I'm Keith. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of Renew, caring for you as you care for others. We spent some time looking at the hazards of care, whether it's as relating to our work and care as a job, career, or calling, and then what burnout and compassion fatigue look like in these roles. Then we started exploring what is self-care, what is the art of resilience? How do we see the world in a way that helps us to be resilient in our caregiving? Initially, we looked at managing our own expectations. What are we in control of? What do we have influence over? And then what's that sphere of concern that we maybe can't make a lot of difference, but continues to impact us in, in difficult ways? Today, we're going to look at finding thanks. So again, under seeing the world, how is it that we can view the world from a posture of looking for the good and finding thanks even amidst difficult circumstances? As always, if you enjoy this series, I encourage you to leave a review on iTunes or your podcast platform and let us know what you think. You're welcome to visit the website christian-horizons.org slash renew, and I welcome your feedback at ministry at christian-horizons.org. I want to share a quote with you that I think helps to frame our episode today quite well. This is from Melody Beattie. She says, Gratitude unlocks the fullness of life. It turns what we have into enough and more. It turns denial into acceptance, chaos to order, confusion to clarity. It can turn a meal into a feast, a house into a home, a stranger into a friend. This quote really gets at the power of gratitude. And it's worth asking ourselves whether we think that gratitude can really do all that. Can it unlock the fullness of life in that way? But I think there are many aspects in which it can. And as we explore the caregiving journey, gratitude or finding thanks along the way is an important aspect of practicing the art of resilience. A few years back, Dan Gilbert released a TED Talk called The Surprising Science of Happiness. And in this TED Talk, he explores the difference between synthetic happiness and natural happiness. What he calls natural happiness is often what we think of when we think of what does it mean to be happy in life. So something good happens to us and then we are naturally happy because this this thing took place that we were looking forward to. It's largely based on external events that prompt this feeling of happiness in us. What Gilbert says is that in our society, we have a strong belief that synthetic happiness is of an inferior kind to this natural happiness. Synthetic happiness is our ability to to process even difficult circumstances and to reach a new normal after a period of time. It's like this psychological immune system, if you will, largely an unconscious process that helps us to adapt to changing circumstances. And so this works both ways. He, he talks about an example of uh, people who have been paralyzed maybe in uh, tragic accidents and their entire life changes in the span of an instant. 
And then he also talks about people that have won the lottery and received millions of dollars, again, changing their life in an instant. With, with both people, they have this ability over time to reach this new state of normalcy. Now, that doesn't mean that winning the lottery won't make you happy for a period of time. Yes, it, it will be an increase in this kind of natural happiness. Um, and it, it doesn't mean that if you undergo a tragic circumstance that, that you won't be impacted negatively by that. What Gilbert is showing, though, is that uh, even when something, um, you know, kind of catastrophic happens to us, we are able to bounce back. Now, we want to keep in mind here that we're talking about um, a, a person with a fairly good mental health that I think that's another question, another thing to explore, whether somebody needs more psychological intervention professional help to address depression. That's a, a different question entirely. But what he's saying is that um, a mentally healthy person is actually able to bounce back some, from some pretty significant setbacks in a resilient way. But we tend to understate or undermine this role of synthetic happiness, that we have ways of viewing the world that can help us to be happy even amidst difficulty. I think this relates to caregiving as well, to the caregiving journey. British poet Alfred Lord Tennyson once wrote, "'Tis better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all." And it's worth asking ourselves, is this something that I see as true? Do I think it's true that it's better to have loved and lost than not to have loved in the first place? This relates to care as well. Is it better to have cared and to invest in ourselves and the lives of others than to not have cared in the first place if it means uh, this, this path that is also riddled with compassion, fatigue, and setbacks and difficulties along the way? Now, I'd suggest that this needs to be held in balance with some of the things that we've talked about before. We need to let go of those aspects that are outside of our control and be able to be at peace with some of those things that are concerning for us that, that we don't have influence over. We also need friends and activities and um, relationships and spiritual practices too that help us retain resilience and our entire identities aren't wrapped up in the journey of caregiving itself. So I think there's some qualifiers that are needed there. But for me, yeah, the, the caregiving journey is worth it. Investing in the lives of others is worth it, even if there's difficulty along the way. I want to share with you one of my hardest experiences in direct support. This is a number of years ago, and I was supporting someone. I'm going to call him uh, Michael. He was maybe in his late 30s, early 40s. He came into uh, the group home where I was working. He was largely independent in, in many ways, and so he had his own apartment set up. Uh, and I, I was kind of a prime support person for Michael, so I would help him think about what he is looking to do in life, help set up support and medical appointments where he needs them. I was really involved in his care. Now, I was part of a team, so there are a number of people engaged in that way as well. 
Um, but but Michael was really an incredible man. He was really funny. He loved to laugh. He loved to joke around with people. Um, he was he was a people person. He was a, a social butterfly. He loved to get out and see his friends whenever he could. He also had his challenges that he was working through. He was overweight and his health was suffering as a result of that. Over the couple of years that we were, we were with him, we were able to um, encourage him to make some progress towards his goals of living a healthier lifestyle. So I got to know Michael and I enjoyed spending time with him. We also shared uh, being part of the Christian faith and so uh, spirituality was, was important to him too. But because he was fairly independent, he had a lot of friends outside of, of the home where he was living, um, Michael would often choose to leave service and, and go and stay with friends for a number of days. Um, some, of, some of these friends were, were good for him and helped him make positive choices in his life. And others, whether it's friends or family, seemed to almost take advantage of him and um, maybe encourage him to share his money with them in ways that were um, not good for him. So on a regular basis, he would he would leave service and he would he would go out. And um, one of the challenges with that is that there are, are many people still waiting or looking for supported housing in uh, the province of Ontario, where I am. And so eventually, it came to a point where. We had to sit down with Michael and say, you know, if you're if you're constantly leaving service, we're going to have to turn the space over to someone else. And sure enough, uh, a few months later, he decided to leave service again, and we had to go through that journey of helping him to get a setup elsewhere and welcoming somebody else into the space where I was working. It was sad. It was sad to see him go. And partially because we weren't sure how he was going to do that. Yes, he was largely independent and he presented as though he was um, very capable of making decisions for himself and yet often would make pretty detrimental decisions in his own life. So it was a sense of sadness that we weren't sure what he was moving on to. I stayed in touch with him for a while after that, but eventually his, his cell number changed. He um, he was harder to track down. I heard that he was living on the street for a period of time. And only a, a couple of years later, I got the news that, that Michael had passed away of a, of a heart attack. And this was, this was devastating. This was tragic to hear. And all the questions go through your head of, what could I have done differently? And how could this have happened? And why? And I, I wrestled with that. Um, I went to his funeral and remembered his life and remembered what a joy it was to be with him. Now today there are more services and more types of services available. And so accompanying him and providing different types of support while he was out in the community might have been more of an option. At that time, we just weren't equipped to be able to provide those kinds of services. And so there is, there's a loss, there's a sense of grief there over what could have been. But looking back, I, I instead of focusing on the grief, instead of focusing on the questions of what could have been, I focus on my experiences with him. 
and my friendship, if you want to call it that, with Michael. I was a professional, but there's also a sense of care there and being able to relate with one another in different ways. And so I look with, back with gratitude on that time, and that helps me to maintain a sense of perspective, maintain a bit of distance from the outcome, and to move on with caring in different ways, and it helped me to do so at the time as well. There's a lot of research that's been done around gratitude and the, the positive effects that it has. I'll name just a couple of things here, but it's worth looking into more of the research that's been done. Grateful people, people who practice this gratitude, uh, tend to give more on average to charities. They also give more in terms of time and volunteering. Grateful people tend to have a, a stronger bond with their local community. It's related to physical health as well. People that practice gratitude tend to have better physical health and 10% fewer stress-related illnesses than, than others, as well as having lower blood pressure. These are just a few of the stats um, from the Templeton Foundation, but there are many other reports that you can, can look at. It really is a practice, though. It's a muscle that we need to exercise. Somebody that I've found helpful in this regard is the Benedictine monk, David Steinel Rast. He also did a TED Talk called Want to be Happy, Be Grateful. He talks about the need to, to stop at different points in our life and to recognize, to look around us for the good that's there, the opportunity that's there. Because even in the midst of difficult times, there can be... Um, there can be a choice to be made, there can be potential, there can be opportunity. It's from that posture that we then go. So there's these words, stop, look, go. It can be a powerful way of reminding us to exercise the muscle of gratitude. There are a number of ways that we can do this. Sometimes if we encounter difficulty in life, for example, we can use the one door closes, another opens exercise recognizing the loss, but also thinking, okay, now what opportunities are opened up through this? Sometimes we have a hard time seeing those opportunities when we're focused on the loss. The gift of time would be a second example. So uh, whether it's volunteering in different ways, spending time with a friend or loved one, it's practicing gratitude. It's giving thanks for the time that we have, and we're using that to bless others. They're counting kindness, so maybe at the end of each day or whenever it is, taking time to look back over a day and saying, okay, when did I have the opportunity to, to be kind to another? Or when, did somebody, when was somebody else kind to me? And giving thanks for those. Maybe you have had somebody that's impacted you in a powerful way, whether it's a teacher or a loved one, somebody who cared for you maybe in a difficult time. Why not write them a letter? Pay them a visit, take the time to tell them the difference that they made in your life. And then a fifth example would be to keep a gratitude journal. Again, this can be a daily practice, and it might just mean recording three funny things, giving thanks for the gift of laughter in the course of a day. It might mean recording three good things that you're thankful for. Whatever that mental hook is to, to help keep you engaged in writing that journal. So as we come to the end of our time here, think about what is one habit 
What is one practice that could stick for you to actively practice gratitude on a daily basis? Again, there are a number of different examples out there. I encourage you just to to maybe search for something that works well for you. And if it's not working well, move on to something else. But um, exercising that muscle of gratitude is really important in maintaining the art of resilience in our daily life. Finally, in terms of its relation to the, the Christian faith, I want to share a passage from Philippians 4. And starting in verse 4, where the Apostle Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. He needs to say this twice, that it's not necessarily going to stick with us, that we need to rejoice in the Lord always. Finding that joy can be difficult at times. And then moving on to verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. Again, it's a tough ask. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So in, in everything, practicing and finding thanks, even in the difficulty, and he says, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's my prayer for you today. Take good care. Thanks to James Palmer for lending his guitar talent to this project. You can follow him on Instagram at jamespalmernb or find his album Redwood on Spotify.